Pescatarian. Pescatarian. That was the word the kid put on his camp form in the special diet section. It was over 10 years ago. I was a youth minister at the time. And, you know, over 10 years ago, I didn't even know whether that was an actual word or a disease or just a joke. I mean, to be honest with you, in the special diet section on camp forms, I sometimes just put the word carnivore. And when it says, please give us more information, I just say, I only eat meat, you know, high-quality meat. Um, but there was no further details on the camp form, so I had to treat it seriously. Pescatarian. I mean, just the word itself. It sounds annoying, doesn't it? Pesky. Pescatarian. When I looked it up, I discovered that it had something to do with fish. Thing is, our camp budget did not extend far enough to slap a piece of seared tuna or pan-fried barramundi on this kid's plate every meal, so I changed the special diet to vegetarian, and I thought that'll show him, pescatarian. Now, vegetarian, that, of course, is a word that we do understand, isn't it? It's, uh, and even if you don't know exactly what it means, you can kind of figure out it's got something to do with vegetables, maybe growing vegetables, smoking vegetables, who knows, maybe even wearing vegetables like this lady, but you know vegetarian has got something to do with vegetables. Let me throw another word at you tonight, folks. It's the word Christian. Lots of people might call themselves Christian or think of themselves as Christian, but they might just mean they have Christian morals or they hold Western values or just that they're nice people, decent sorts of people. And when you stop to think about it, it seems obvious that the word Christian must have something to do with Christ, with following Jesus and being with his people. I mean, vegetarians got something to do with veggies. Christian must have something to do with Christ. But amongst the people of the world, there is some confusion. Today we're going to see that to call yourself a Christian means you follow Jesus in a rather wholehearted kind of way, as the Apostle Paul urges us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God and then to offer ourselves to one another in service using the gifts he has apportioned to us. Well, friends, it is the the seventh and final week in our series we've called The Truth Is, where we've just been tracing seven vital gospel truths and tried to directly apply the response they compel from us. We're really just trying to narrow the gap between what we say we believe and what we in fact do. And particularly today, we're focusing on the area of spiritual gifts, service and ministry. For the truth is, God has given us spiritual gifts. Well, there are four quick points today, which we'll work through methodically. And we begin by hearing how we as Christian people should offer our lives, ourselves, to God as living sacrifices. And we pick this up from chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, says the Apostle Paul, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Some versions say this is your reasonable act of worship. Others say this is your spiritual act of worship. And even in that one sentence, you'd have to agree there is plenty of meat there, right? Not much lettuce, no fillers. So the first thing we need to note is that whatever we do for God, whatever we do in following Jesus, whatever service we engage in for one another or for our community can only be in response to or in view of God's mercy. Whatever we offer him only works because of what he first offered us when he offered his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, up to death on the cross in our place for our sins to bring us back to God. 
It cannot and does not work the other way around, that we somehow do or serve or achieve in order to gain or perhaps in order to keep God's mercy. It is funny, especially for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, how subconsciously we actually start to reverse this and we get it the wrong way around. Well, we respond in view of God's mercy. But if you look closely at verse 1, you will realize that a response is necessary. The Apostle Paul urges us, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. So there is a required response, and God is looking for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Of course, the question is, what does that mean? Because we use the word sacrifice quite loosely in our culture. Uh, We throw the word around um, quite happily. Um, I sacrificed my chance at scoring the goal by passing it to a teammate. She sacrificed her holidays by building an orphanage in Africa, or whatever it is. But this idea of a living sacrifice is quite particular, and it's a much richer idea. Because in the old days, the Old Testament days, the people of God would bring the very best of their herds and flocks and crops, and they would offer them to God on an altar in Jerusalem at the temple. Perhaps they would offer a bull or a lamb, or a goat, or some grain, and it would be sacrificed right there on the altar, literally slaughtered in the case of the animals, right there. And because uh, we think that our meat actually comes from Woolworths rather than cows, this might strike us as being quite brutal, but for them it was a deep and profound act of spiritual worship in which they confessed their utter need for God's forgiveness and his salvation. And it involved a bringing of their very best before him. So it was costly to them. But the thing was, in each of those cases, whether it was from a herd or a flock or was crop, what the person would offer was dead. Dead sacrifice. A dead bull. A dead lamb. Uh, a dead, some dead wheat. But now we're urged to offer not the dead body of a bull or a lamb, but our own bodies to God. You you could quite rightly say Jesus was the very last of the dead sacrifices when he was sacrificed for our sins once for all upon the cross. So we no longer offer dead sacrifices to God like animals or grain. We offer living sacrifices to him because we offer our own lives. It really, friends, is not the case that as long as you believe somewhere in your brain that Jesus lived and died and rose again, that that's the only response that's required. You will notice from the verse that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, all of life, not just the inner mind, not just kind of the soul part of us, but all of life is lived as an offering to God. And I think you will agree that is just as much, in fact, it's way more a sacrifice than a mere dead animal. And just before we leave this verse and cover the rest uh, more quickly, well, we need to see that when we live our whole life for God, following Jesus, that's a spiritual act of worship. It's true and proper, it's reasonable, it's spiritual. You see, when you're at your work and you're trying to do a very good job at what you do without making work an idol, uh, or you're at home trying to raise children or care for ageing parents, or if you're at school and you're trying to respect your teachers, and I understand sometimes that's difficult, each of those occasions is a spiritual act of worship. Like if you're actually on the cricket field and the umpire says not out, but you know that you nicked it and so you walk off, even that is a spiritual act of worship. 
students, when you study diligently and you don't take your publicly subsidised education for granted, but you see it as an opportunity to serve others in the future, that's a spiritual act of worship. When you cook dinner, when you wash up after dinner for your household, that's a spiritual act of worship. And of course, when you come to church to hear from God and fellowship with one another and serve one another, that is also a spiritual act of worship. In response to God's great mercy in sending his son to die for us, we offer our bodies, our whole lives, 24-7 as living sacrifices to him. It's all spiritual. It's all worship. And if we do it for God, it's all pleasing to him. So the question, of course, is, are you up for it? And you're thinking, sitting there in your chairs, thinking, yes, of course I'm up for it, at least here while I'm sitting here, because it sounds very gallant and noble and spiritual. But, of course, the other question is, well, where, do you, where, where on earth do you start? Well, verse 2 says that we start with a renewed mind so that we can be transformed by God rather than conformed to the world. We are transformed, not conformed. And conformed just means that you do the same thing and you think the same way as everybody else in the world. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't think that you're at the centre of your own galaxy and the rest of the universe revolves around you. Don't think this life is really about squeezing as many opportunities, pleasures, experiences or achievements, just having as much fun as you can like everybody else does. Don't live selfishly just for yourself or perhaps your little tribe, as is the pattern of the world, pretty much how everyone else in our society lives, but instead be transformed. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It will be impossible for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices if we remain stuck in old ways of thinking and in the same ways of acting as everybody else in our culture. We'll only be able to offer ourselves to God in worship if we are transformed starting with our minds as we let the scriptures shape our souls not just hearing the words and thinking boy that is a lovely sounding idea i really like the ring of it but hearing them and putting them into practice so they renew our minds so they push us to be transformed rather than conformed now friends this brings us to the bit where we talk practically about how we're going to do all this. To be living sacrifices, we need to think of ourselves with sober judgment. And if it's true that transformation takes place in our lives, firstly, by the renewing of our minds, well, that means we need to be thinking Christians. And thinking Christians, switched on believers who want God's word to change us and grow us and renew us, understand this will affect deeply the way we think about ourselves. So let's pick it up in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, says the Apostle Paul, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. You see, how are you going to have a non-worldly, a non-conforming approach to life if you view yourself more highly than you ought? That's quite common in our culture. How can you possibly offer your body, all of your life to God, if you think you're rather above all that? Certainly above other people. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago uh, in New South Wales they released the results of a survey of high school students. And uh, 96% of students thought they were in the top 
20% of students thought they were in the top 1%. Now, what does that tell you? Almost half of us think that we're smarter than we really are, and nearly one in five of us are completely delusional. That's what it tells you. Now, let me say, the Bible thinks humans are the most valuable species on the planet. Right? Jesus didn't die to redeem dolphins. He didn't come to save pandas. But we basically stink at not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. So there's a good reminder there for some sober judgment. But the final way this passage suggests we offer ourselves as living, to, living sacrifices to God, I think is really quite unusual. It's connected to the idea of not thinking too highly of ourselves, but it says we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God by offering ourselves to our fellow Christians in faith-filled service. He says you do it by becoming serving members. Let's read from verse 4 onwards. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. And then the passage goes on to say that basically whatever your gift is, whether it's serving, preaching, teaching, encouragement, generosity, leadership, showing mercy, who would have thought showing mercy was a spiritual gift? Whatever it is, and it's not an exhaustive list, get on with it. Don't sit back, conform to the pattern of this world, thinking that you're independent or you're rather above it all, or that you can do whatever you want to do without regards to the gifts God has given you and the Christian people he has placed you with, that really would be a worldly pattern. Now, God has given us grace in salvation. We've already talked about that in verse 1. But here, he has furthermore given us grace in terms of his empowering presence within us to serve him and others with the gifts he's given us. As far as salvation is concerned, you'd be happy for me to say that he has given us all the same grace and mercy. In fact, it would be silly to say that, that people have got different amounts of salvation. They've got different kinds of forgiveness. But as we respond to his grace and salvation, he gives us another grace, spiritual gifts and opportunities, and his empowering presence within us to put them to use. And this grace will look different in different people. Thank God it does. How boring it would be otherwise. I mean, you can see the Apostle Paul talk about the grace given to him in verse 3 and the measure of faith given to each Christian also in verse 3. You see it also in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. God has given us gifts and his empowering presence to use those gifts according to his grace. And so there are different gifts, there are different talents, there are different abilities, there are different passions, there are different opportunities. So rather than thinking more highly of ourselves, we think about how we can put what God has put within us into his service and into the service of others. How do we do that at St. Mark's? How will we do that elsewhere? Where do we even begin? And I must say um, that across today, like I've felt quite nervous about this section, and I, I never get nervous before um, giving talks. Uh, and I, I realised that um, I felt nervous because there's a great potential here for me to frustrate you, <laughs> depending on what position you're in and where you're at in life and where you're at with serving. Some of you will be serving on a number of fronts, many fronts, and you might feel frustrated that you're doing all the work and you just wish there were more people helping you out. Some of you will feel like you've got something to offer, but, 
but you don't know how to get a piece of the action. There's no obvious opportunities here for you at St. Mark's. Some of you will be thinking, why is it that the ministers are always asking us to serve? Like, isn't that what we pay them to do? The minister's minister? The congregation? All we need to do is congregate. Some of you will be feeling like with busy jobs or busy family life or just where you're at in life that you're really at your limit. Please don't ask me to do anything more. So depending on how it goes this evening, uh, I'm, I'm guaranteed to frustrate some of you. And if I do a really good job, everyone will leave here cranky. So let's see how we go. Big picture wise, we would love it if you were able to use your gifts. And I want to define them broadly to include you know, gifts, talents, opportunities, abilities, passions and personality to serve one another here somehow at St Mark's. We want you to get involved. And furthermore, we'd like you to serve where you can and where you can be joyful about it rather than feel guilty about what you can't do. Uh, I mean, maybe there is some place for guilt in the Christian life, but not often. And I do feel like Christians can go from zero to guilty in about three seconds flat, and it's almost always unhelpful. So I, I, please hear me, I am not putting a guilt trip on you. I want you to serve where you can joyfully rather than feel guilty about what you can't do. And so we'd firstly love you to serve our church community, our spiritual family, just by being here week by week. I think that's probably the the greatest act of service that lies before us all. One of the very delightful things about the fellowship here at St Mark's is there are are stacks of people involved in service in all kinds of ways, lots of you. It's... And if you're one of those people who's really frustrated, feeling like you're the only one who's doing all the work, I just want you to know there are dozens of people who are with you, involved in all sorts of service here. And so I do want to say thank you. It is heartwarming to be a part of this fellowship. Thank you. But you want to make sure that you don't just turn up to church only when you're on the roster to do something. Because one week on serving doesn't buy you a leave pass for the next two weeks. Just letting you know that. And remember, friends, you are a being before you are a doing. So we serve one another, firstly, just by being here week by week and bringing ourselves. But on top of just taking your place when we gather here each week, we'd love you to think about an area where you'd like to get involved in church life. Now, I reckon there is a sweet spot where, when it comes to service where your talents and gifts where your passions also align with our needs and they all overlap beautifully. And to serve where all those areas combine sounds like a real strike spot, doesn't it? A real strike zone. But I don't think it often works out like that. It certainly hasn't in my experience of being a Christian. The late Tim Keller, very insightful guy, uh, author, church planner from New York, this is what he says about service. Find the jobs in the church that need to be done and then do them. Just serve. Don't ask too much about whether it fulfills you. Why? Well, first, the only way you will ever really come to know the kind of ministry you are best at is if you do a lot of different things. And then you will know what God blesses. So don't look first at your proven abilities, your day job or natural talents to determine what you do in the church because God may not use that. Likewise, don't look first at your heart the things that excite and interest you. If you gravitate too quickly to those areas, you may miss latent gifts. You weren't even aware that you have. Just serve, plug the gaps and help out. Go through the door of opportunity, doing what needs to be done, and then as time goes on, you can check your heart and your abilities. 
Now, if you want to this evening, you could go online and you could find a dozen spiritual gift surveys that will spit out an answer. It's funny, no one has the gift of setting out chairs. Have you noticed that? But Tim Keller says the better way is just to jump in and start serving somewhere. Well, there are plenty of opportunities here at St. Mark's. Uh, There are opportunities in music. There are opportunities in welcoming. There are opportunities with food. There are tremendous opportunities in our ministry to kids uh, at Kids Church on Sunday. What a fantastic team led by the inimitable Steph Kime. I mean, I want to be on her team. I'm just not allowed to be, right? Um, What about teaching scripture on Tuesday mornings for this passage of time where the government will let us go into public schools and share the good news of Jesus with kids that wouldn't hear about him any other way? Fantastic. What about joining Brenda on a Friday morning at Mainly Music, where there are dozens of local families who come to us willingly and love it so that we might share something of the good news with them and provide a vital community service. Lots of areas of humble service where you can work out the sort of stuff God will bless. Now, some of you might be at a stage of life and you think, man, I I can't do any of that. All I can do is pray. And I would say, all you can do is pray? You mean you can pray? So pray. That would be excellent. It keeps the focus on others rather than you. It brings you the joy of seeing others helped by your hard work. So jump in and start somewhere. Of course, you might be there feeling like you're battling just to keep your head above water in life. And I would say we don't want people drowning here. We really don't. I'm not asking you to do that. But I would say just make sure that that feeling you have is entirely accurate. Maybe question whether you are battling because you've set up a pattern of life or family life that's just unsustainable. Like it'll be hard to contribute to the life of your spiritual family if your nuclear family has gone all nuclear, right? It's just crowded out. Neither you nor your children, if you have them, need to take up every opportunity that comes up. You can actually say no. And you might even need to say no to them if they're going to learn some valuable life lessons. Sometimes, and I know this sounds incredibly cheesy, you need to grow your no so you can bless your yes. Write it down, put it on Twitter or whatever it's called these days. Grow your no to bless your yes. It's actually true, isn't it? So think through that and then think, are there some small ways that I can get involved and get started here? Some of us legitimately just can't get involved in this particular season of life. And as I said earlier, we want you to serve with joy where you can, not feel guilty where you can't. Now, some of you might feel like the idea of just jumping in somewhere is totally inadequate. You have great passions and energy and they just... You can't think of a way they could be channeled here at St. Mark's. Well, firstly, I would say, have you, have you asked me? Because I'm pretty good at finding a way. But I would also say, you've got our encouragement to employ them outside the fellowship here. You know, we've got people here that are on missions boards. We've got people here who are on school committees. We've got people who serve in local community groups that serve not just our church, but the wider community well beyond St. Mark's. And I just want you to know we're for that. We're encouraged by that. We want to pray for that because we can't do everything within St. Mark's. You know, we've got this very sharply divine purpose statement. We're wholeheartedly for Jesus and a Northbridge that knows him. I mean, that's not every single thing that we do, uh, especially when you think about our mission partners right across the world. But we can't focus on everything. Otherwise, you focus on nothing. 
And so I do want to say, if you're involved in something outside that, may God bless your efforts. And I mean that sincerely. May he bless your efforts. But can I still appeal to you to take your place in family life here, to be involved in this family, even if it's not your precise strike zone or sweet spot? You might have a niche outside, but be a part of the ministry here if you're a Christian. I love the local church. I have an overwhelming sense that as the local church grows and holds out the gospel, the word of life, the only means by which wayward humanity can be restored into open friendship with God through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, that is nothing short of the hope for the world. So be a part of this local church. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? Serving other Christians, other parts of the body of Christ at our local church, one key way in which you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Serving with the gifts and the opportunities he's given you. Serving with his empowering presence within you is a key part of our spiritual, of our true and proper, of our reasonable act of worship to him. Well, friends, as we finish up, every vegetarian, every single one knows that by calling themselves that, they've got some sort of relationship, some sort of commitment to veggies. Yet there are many people in our world today who call themselves Christians with no ambition to follow Christ, no ambition to serve his people. But Romans 12 reminds us because of all that God did for us in Christ, we respond not just in our hearts, not just in our heads, but with our bodies offering our whole lives to him as living sacrifices. We will need to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and faith-filled service will not just be an optional extra for the keenest Christian or just the paid ministers. It'll be something we're all involved in. God gave up Jesus' body in death. Will we give him our bodies in life? For the truth is, God has given us spiritual gifts, broadly defined, Will we use them for him and one another? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we view your great mercy to us in sending your Son to live among us and then die for us. In view of that mercy, we want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, serving you by serving one another. Help us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought uh, and help us to deploy the gifts, talents, passions and personalities that you were given to us along with your empowering present for the benefit of the whole. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.